might as well take in sandpaper and put it around the inside of my shoe and let my foot just rub in there. My shoe, my foot was just raw, bloody. So after this race was, yeah, I was just going to ask you after this race was over, what did your feet look like? Um, I have a, I have a picture. I'll have to tag you in it. I put my, uh, I put my buckle next to the buckle that I want. I put it next to the uh, blister and the buckle's about three inches tall or four. The, the blister's almost that big. I've got it set next to my foot, but they were every toe underneath had um, blisters. Both sides of my ankle had blisters and the top of my shoe a foot where the tongue was, there was like a perfect red line of just, just, it was just mud and blood. Welcome to the Rising Father Podcast. I'm Chris Schrodek. I'm talking to Jason Coffin. He's a man of many skills. He's an ultra marathon runner. He's a former fisher boat captain. He runs a jewelry store. Now he's starting a pet. So I'll let you describe it. A pet supply, pet store. Yeah, canine, canine nutrition, but you could say pet because we do have we do have cats. Um, I'll get into other animals later, but these are the these are the main ones. <laughs> it's yeah. called uh, Mana's Market. Got it. Got it right here. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a kind of a weird thing. Um, been in the jewelry business my whole life just because it was family owned. And um, so we moved locations and we actually moved next door. We were dying for parking and a building became available. Uh, we knew the people. So when we moved, we still had time on another building. And I was like, you know, having your last name on a building for 38 years and still some time on it, not a big building, you know, in a great area. It's like, if you want to do something for yourself right then, that, that was the time to do it, you know? Um, so the so building was available. The building was available. And the building was available. I've always wanted to do something on my own besides jewelry. I mean, I'm in the, I'm in the jewelry, but let's face it, gold chains, watches, bracelets, guys are pretty much done. You know, and then guys like me that want to be in the woods all day and tracking with your dog, it, it really gets small. But I love the business side and I love that I came home um, from some other endeavors I'm sure we'll talk about again um, and took over the family business. You know, not a lot of people do that and a lot of small business die that way. Um, but you- I did that. I took over that business um, in the last few years and then I wanted to do something for myself. So it opened up next door. I can't ask for anything better. I don't have to travel. And so I started a canine nutrition store. I'm all about fitness. I didn't want to open a supplement store. I didn't want to open up a gym. Um, I'm all into dogs and their fitness and their nutrition. So, I mean, that was was it. It's still going to take a lot of work, but it's a passion of mine. So the work is fun. So the jewelry part, the jewelry business store, let me start there. So that's a family business. And... Being a jewelry store owner isn't your passion, but you are your own boss and you're a business owner. Right? Correct. Yeah. And I like the business side, the entrepreneur side. You know, I can I can help oversee that business. I've got great people behind me and then I can move on to something else, hopefully, especially with established business. And you probably are learning a lot of skills just from running a jewelry business, just about being a business owner. Absolutely. I would say the biggest thing that's so easy in um, Mana's market is like tracking inventory and stuff, because let's face it, 
if you can track diamonds and watches and people's repairs and their their heirlooms, you can track some dog food. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know where it is. You know how to put it in. You you know you need to wipe it down once a week and keep it nice. You know how to do lighting. So that's it. it made retail on my passion side very easy. Yeah, there's some guys in our group and just those guys in general who who are working nine to five. They want to start a business, and they get they get stuck thinking like I got to find the perfect thing. Like I got to find my passion. I need to find the thing that I'm called to do. That is like the thing I'm, I will die, you know, put on my tombstones. Like you can do that, but you can, you'll be thinking about it for years of what to get in. Or you can just say, Hey, freedom is what I'm after. Being my own boss is what I'm after. Yeah. And I like that you're doing that. Like, no, I'm a business owner. And then I'm just going to learn everything I can, you know, build it up and then transfer that to a business I'm more passionate about and maybe start another business. You know, like your journey doesn't have to end right here. So I had a guy in my group who, um, he's a teacher he wants to start his own business. But he, he took a months to, to get going, months to get started because we were thinking through like, all right, what kind of business do you want to start? And he was for months thinking, well, I got to do, I got to find the thing. I got to find the thing. And finally, I just gave him a deadline. I said, man, do you want to teach or not? He said, no, I don't want to teach. I said, okay, well, then you just start a business and go all in, make some mistakes, fail, and get out of your job, the one that you don't want to be in. And then uh, guess what? After you build that up, then you'll have the freedom to start your passion project. And he, he, he's starting a mobile car washing business and okay. these guys in the group are hooking him up with leads and equipment and he's making moves. Now, by the end of the year, he could be, you know, in a good position, but that just like thinking about it part really, really yeah, gets some guys. That'll, that'll get you in trouble. Maybe, you know, um, you find a smaller Avenue in that business. Like, you know, if I didn't have the building and all that, Maybe I could have bought a really nice sprinter van and done dog training, you know, yeah. um, like the, the one thing I am finding out that I have no clue about, which I have a manager and I have people under me um, and around me that know a lot about. I have no clue about the grooming side. I hmm. mean, my manager can sit there for 30 minutes, like on one breath and talk about what you got to do in grooming. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't know there was a blueberry facial for a dog. I mean, I got... I, I, I got working dogs. We we go down to the bridge here, and you know what a bath is. I throw them in the water, and we start swimming. You know, I mean, we get out of the ocean. I rinse them off from fresh water, and they've just been bathed. Uh, we run upwards to seven miles a day, so there's your cardio. You know, uh, what kind of dogs do you have? I have a German Shepherd Malinois mix, and then I yeah. have a Wolf Husky mix. Okay, so some some big dogs. Yeah, one. She's about uh, Makaira is the husky. Um, Husky Wolf Mix, she's about 60, 65. And then my wow. working dog, uh, the Mouse Shepherd, Mana, who I did the business after, um, he's about 85 pounds. So he's a big boy. Yeah, that's big. We, we, got, we got a little Brittany Spaniel. He might pop up. He's laying behind me. You can see him. <laughs> uh, he's a little puppy now. He's probably 35 pounds. Okay. Eight months. I think if the max Brittany Spaniels get to about 40. But he, he's a runner, man. He's a, a bird hunting dog. I don't oh, hunt. Yeah. I want to get into hunting. You know, it's like I'm. I don't have time to, to learn a hunting thing right now, but I will be getting within the next year. It's one of my goals. I want to be hunting. I want to be getting some food that I'm, I'm getting on my own. Um, I don't know if, if my dog is going to be involved in that or not, but it would be cool. You never know. I'm really considering, I want to spend a lot more time in the woods in September. I didn't get to hunt at all this year in September for elk bow yeah. because of the new business i got one week in oklahoma um for a whitetail and i came up short i was looking for the big one 
But what I want to do is I want to teach my shepherd how to track my kill. Mm -hmm. So, you know, elk down, blood trail, go get him from camp. And I mean, unless it's obvious, it's right there. But on something tough, I'd, I'd love to figure out how to get him out there and do that kind of tracking. Yeah, that'd be great. If you're even allowed to do it, it's state to state. But I'm going to research it and have fun. He's already a tracking dog, so it it can't hurt, you know. Yeah, no, that'd be a blast. I, yeah. I, was, I was like, I don't see my dog doing that yet. He chases deer. <laughs> I, I go on hikes with him in the woods, and he, I let him chase deer. So that's the most hunting right. thing he does. But he always I, comes back. He always comes back. It's, it, it starts with predator drive. Predator yeah. gray drive. That That's what it starts with. If he's got that, you can, you can bring more out of him. So. It's funny. He's like you know, 10 inches tall, he'll be running after these huge bucks that we have around here. Unfortunately, <laughs> you can't see them. And these stupid bucks, they they run away. You know, they're these 100-pound, large yeah. animals, just oh, running that's, terrified that's from this little insane. puppy dog. Yeah. But, I mean, if they just turned around for a second and just gave him a little kick, my little Rusty would be dead. Oh, yeah. Well, and even just turn around and look at him, he would realize, oh, it's not going to run anymore. Okay, yeah. I'm done. <laughs> I always tell my wife, I'm like, what would he do? What's he going to do if he actually catches the deer? Like, what you know, he's gonna, he, he loves chasing it, but then say the deer stops and he runs up to the deer. Like, he, he's not going to know what to do. He's going to freak not, out. Not a clue. Not yeah. a clue. It's, it's kind of like a, why did he stop, you know? Yeah. So you're into hunting. Um, when did you, what do you, are you a bow hunter? Are you a, do you, do you use a rifle? Um, I'm bow. Um, my father, I got into hunting actually a very young age. I probably was shooting my first uh, rifle. It was a chipmunk 22. I still own the rifle. Yeah. I was probably shooting at it three or four years old, you know, setting it on a sandbag. Actually, the way that you cocked it was a pin in the back, straight back, almost like a pellet gun. Yeah. Um, so my father even tied a shoestring on that so I could wrap my hand around and pull it because I couldn't get a hold of the thing. So that's how young I was. Um, shooting, um, he passed in 2003. He got really busy with the jewelry store when I was younger. So I remember very young, five, six, seven, eight, probably to about 10. He did quite a bit of deer hunting up in um, South Carolina where he would leave on a Friday night after work. I would go with him. We'd go up to a hunting camp. You know, he would rifle shoot then. He did a little bow, um, but mostly rifle. And then I think around that 10 years old, it just seemed like we didn't go up there anymore. I think that was mainly because he was building the business. Kind of yeah. like how I missed this year. <laughs> yeah. He's getting the way. But um, yeah, so I had the hunting background. Um, I lived near the water on the west coast of Florida. So I was always fishing and he was a big fisherman. So the outdoors thing just never left. And now I'm my own guy now. Um, I really wanted to get into archery and I loved hiking out West. So they call elk hunting hiking with a bow. So it was like, sign me up. And then the whole thing about getting my fresh, uh, fresh food and providing it for others. And I've got a story about that with tuna that we talked about last time. Um, yeah, I, I, I was all in and I, I'm still all in. I missed this year and I've regretted every day that I missed this year. You yeah. know? So that won't happen next year. It's all geared towards September. So when did you start um, shooting with a bow? Um, I started in about uh, the end of 2019, right around, that, um, right around that COVID time. I think we started getting ear of COVID around November, December. And I think yeah. January of 2020, it really blew up. Well, I, mm -hmm. I had already had my bow. So 
How long did it take you to get proficient with it to where you could actually feel comfortable? Um, well, that story is how I got out there to uh, Oregon. Um, when I first bought it, I bought it here in town. Uh, the gentleman was real nice. He spent about 10 minutes with me, bought the bow, very expensive bow, and he sent me on my way. I hit the side of my garage. I was missing the target at 20 yards. Let's face it, I didn't. I had, I had every apparatus and toy that that guy could sell me on there. You know, different sights, and there's a thing called a biscuit that holds your holds your arrow straight. And yeah, yeah that wasn't working. So I kind of, kind of left it alone. I mean, I still played with it. Let's face it, it was COVID. There was things to, you know, there was not much to do. Uh, then I took a road trip in 2020 to go hiking with a buddy out of California. And we went to, uh, we met in Idaho and uh, we did a hike. He, uh, we both had to leave because of the, that's when uh, Northern California was having really bad fires as well. Mm -hmm. So he got a call on the sat phone that his girlfriend's horses were in danger and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So we raced that night. We literally raced out of the woods. Uh, I got him to the airport in Idaho and I had a bunch of time. I was kind of taking a summer leave because the store was closed and it was COVID and I was in my truck with my dog. So um, I had heard about the bow rack on Instagram and I'd talk to them. I'd hit them up, you know, questions and stuff. And they were super nice. Yeah. Well, I looked up their hours and hit them up on a DM and said, basically just, I told them the story that I just told you. And I had my bow with me because I was shooting on the road trip on the way out to Ohio, uh, Idaho. Mm. Um, so they were like, yeah, come by. Um, so I drove to Oregon. <laughs> I had enough time and I, you know, I was one state over, so no big deal. Um, showed up, um, showed up that first day, hung out with them, you know, kind of sat at their store. They got kind of at their cash register. They kind of have, it's almost set up like a, like a bar you'd go drinking, but it's, you know, it's basically their showcase. Um, stayed all day, shot all day. Uh, multiple guys came by and helped me, gave me little tips. Ah, oh, you want to do this and that, that. And that day I was already getting better with some, somebody behind me. So I was already starting to like it more. And at the end of the day, it was probably about six o'clock. They were, uh, they were closing up and Wayne himself, the owner of the bow rack walks up and he's like, you know, what's going on? You've been here all day. I, I guess I, it might've been him. I talked to on the DM. And I was like, I just really want to learn how to do this. He spent three hours more with me. And I, by that, I was putting him in the 20 yard range and the 40, Damn. maybe 50 cent piece. So it was just, I was willing to learn and I just needed the right direction. And he's probably the best at that. You know, he's a very good teacher. You just, you can, what he puts out, you can take in. I mean, yeah. at least I could. So, the bow rack, you um, said. What's that? It's called the bow rack. You said it's called the bow rack. Yep. Um, and it's out in Springfield, Oregon. Okay. Love that place. Uh, so the next day I was going to head out, I was in a hotel and he texts me and says, Hey, we're doing this giant barbecue to kind of celebrate, uh, the beginning of elk season. This was the end of August and elk season usually starts around that last weekend, at least in Oregon it does. So they said, Hey, why don't you come out to this barbecue and, I was like, well, that sounds awesome. You know, I was just going to drive all the way to Florida. So I was like, what's one more day? So I renewed my hotel one more day, shot over there. It was a Sunday. Um, saw everybody that I met at the, you know, at the shop, saw a bunch of their friends. Um, 
had a push-up contest. We had to do a push-up contest before we ate. I thought that was absolutely awesome. So just a uh, cool environment. Yeah, non-alcoholic, no beer, none of that. Just a bunch of guys. They had targets all laid out. Um, this is at the farm. So it was just, you know, it was just an absolute blast. Um, stayed for the whole day, ended up shooting and having that push-up contest with Wayne and uh, Cameron Haynes that, that is always at the bow rack that lives down the street from them. Uh, and, I mean, that's pretty much it. I've gone back. Uh, so I went 2020, 21, um, and I went 22, and I did not go this year because of the new business. Yeah. And I went and saw them every year to train for my ultras. I would go out there a couple months before and mm -hmm. um, I went out there twice. I tried to run Moab in uh, 2021. So I was out there in August um, because the race was in October. Then I turned around and actually got to do the race in 2022. So I was out there in August again, did an elk cut in September and then ran the Moab in October. So it was a very, very long summer last year, but that's one of my greatest summers ever. Sounds amazing, man. Yeah. It sounds like a blast. Yeah. So, so the, the bow rack, if you're out there in that side of the world, or if you just want to get some good training. Yeah. Great. And they put out some great, um, Instagram, you know, reels and, and photos, and they share a lot of info, which a lot don't, but they do. And they don't care if you, like I said, when I showed up there, I had my own bow. I didn't even buy a bow from them. So I got that much help. They didn't make any money off me. So, yeah. Now I've bought a bow since, of course, and everything I buy that has to do with a bow, I call them up and they ship it to me. But yeah, just just great people, and I I learned the you know I I got the right knowledge and I used it, and I'm still shooting today, and we're going into 2024. I love it. There's so, I'll be begin that journey. I've got just a, a recurve <laughs> bow. I haven't shot it all this year just because I've been so busy with building the biz. Same thing as you building the business and quitting my job and doing all that. So I don't have tons of time to go out in the backyard and spend an hour shooting. Yeah. But I did like four or five years ago, I had just a Samick Sage recurve bow, which is a good, you know, intermediate beginner recurve bow. Okay. And then someone, someone mysteriously snapped it. It wasn't me, but we found it snapped in the backyard. Ah, and uh, that no, sounds one, child. no one, she's right next to me. No one knows who did it. No one knows who, uh, no one knows who snapped the bow, but we found it and the bow snapped and my son has a little kid's compound bow. Okay. I'm going to get my daughter into it because like only five minutes from us, we've got this little outdoor archery range. Oh, um, perfect. Yeah. It's like five minutes from us. So we can, we can go there, but I just got to order them, get them going so we can get yeah. them. Yeah. You, know, you said earlier about, you know, I just don't have that hour to shoot. I got to be honest when I post the videos and stuff of me shooting, a lot of times, probably 90% of the time, I'm shooting one quiver full of arrows. That's six arrows. Yeah. I, I get out there, I, I let a couple go, and and then I I move on to the next thing. Um, I just need to buy it. I just need to get it. It's yeah. been like, it's been two, I did it for, I was kind of the same way because I, I made my own little target in my backyard. We got some room, and I was shooting every day, not for an hour. That was probably dramatic. So maybe just for a little bit, but I could, I could have it sitting out there and shoot a couple arrows. Yep. That would yeah. be my goal for today. I'll order one today. There you go. Yeah. I had a little, I had a little joke going with myself on Instagram. I'd run out, I'd run outside in like my full suit. Cause I was going to run the jewelry store that day. And I go out and just launch one arrow and then take off 
running for the jewelry store because it's like, you know, you could shoot one in 30 seconds and be gone. So I'd be in a full suit out there shooting. But it's just like releasing that arrow. I think, I mean, on a stress reliever, I'd say my dogs are the best thing when I've had a rough day. But like if I want instant stress and I have the bow around me, pulling back that 80 pound bow, holding it there for a minute and letting it go, I'd say it's even better than the cold plunge. Cause it's, it's that fast for me. I can pull one back, let it go. It feels great. It's kind of like a, and then back to what I was doing. Like, so like when I'm working from home, I do that all the time. I'll be working on something and I'm like, what am I doing here? The bow's right there on the wall. I just immediately go grab it, start thinking about something else, shoot three, come back in. And it's like a new idea. I'm like, Oh, that's what I got to do. Okay. Let me yep. do that. That's like scheduling in breaks or whatever you need yeah. in your day. Like exactly. working for six hours straight with no breaks. You just, you're less efficient. You know, you need those little, little oh, breaks. I do the same yeah. thing. I'll work for 30 minutes, an hour. I'll, I'll feel that like, you know, the, um, I don't know, not, it's maybe stress, maybe just a little bit of tired or boredom coming. So I mean, I'll just grab my dog. I'll, I'll walk outside for five, 10 minutes, maybe I'll even go on the assault bike for a couple minutes. Yep. Something, something to break, to break the, uh, the monotony up and it just recharges you. Correct. Like I've, I've done that a lot on weekends with all the training I'm doing and, you know, both businesses and all that I've got up. I sleep later on weekends is kind of like, cause I don't take a day off. So I sleep later on weekends to get more recovery and I'll kind of get up and I'll be like, you know, should, do I clean the house? Do I go to the gym? Do I check my email? And it's like kind of like a cluster. And then I'm like, you know what? I go to the gym and I go to the gym and I grab a coffee and I come back and I'm like, I'm cleaning the house. Then I'm checking my emails and then, and the rest of the day is like clockwork. But in the morning it's just kind of like, and then it's like the gym just goes, go that way, Jason, you know? So what is your normal morning routine on uh, Monday through Friday? What does that look like? Um, right now um, it, it changes about every four weeks because of the training I'm doing for Bigfoot 200 coming up in next August. But what I do is I wake up about three 30. Um, I jump, I jump in the cold plunge for about a minute. Um, maybe two, I I'm not really trying to get that, whatever they call after the two minutes, I'm just trying to get in there and get cold and get uncomfortable. I think, a, I think a minute right out of bed is plenty uncomfortable. No, that's horrible. Yeah. And I, and I want to just get going. So, um, I do that. And then I usually get my dogs out to one of the beaches in the area and we do about a seven mile ruck and I call it a ruck because I'm doing it in the uh, soft sand to strength, strengthen my feet and get them out there. And I do wear about a 20 pound uh, weight vest under the, uh, under my sweatshirt. Um, and the dogs actually wear vests themselves about three days a week. Um, we do that seven miles. I come back, feed them. Um, I get it super early. I do it in the dark. It's dark to dark. Um, I get back, I get off my feet for about 45 minutes and then I get ready for work. Uh, kind of check, you know, the, the buildings are side by side. I kind of check which one do I have to go first? Who needs me the most kind of thing. Um, usually it's the dog store cause they're open earlier. Um, so I get in there, get with, get with the managers, kind of do a roundabout, see what I got to do, ask what I got to do, go over to the jewelry store, do that thing. And then after that, it's kind of a, um, it's kind of like whichever one needs me most, you know, I'm kind of going back and forth lunchtime right now with training i am trying to get into the gym around lunchtime that gives me about a six hour from you know when i trained in the morning 
um, to get the upper body. Um, and then that gives me that break that we were just talking about. I come back and it's like, I check my tax and I'm like, okay, got to do this, but then I need to do this. I'm, I'm very on point after that one. Um, I get out of there about six, six thirty. nothing, nothing crazy. It's like we were just talking about. If I try to do a 12 hour day, I just fall apart. I'll do the 12 hours when you got to do the 12 hours, you know, just there's other things I want to do throughout the day. Um, then at night, it's pretty much, I get home, I try to eat around five o'clock. I try to, you know, get that over with. And then that night I head back out on the blacktop. Um, I usually run nothing crazy. Sometimes I'll get a 10, 11 miles in, but mostly it's about probably seven or eight. So I usually get a workout in the day, in the middle of the day, and I get about a 13 and a half, 14 mile day in with some work. And then I'm in bed about 1030. So you run in the morning and first thing on in the beach and then you work out and then you work out lunchtime and then you run again in the evening. Yep. Pretty much Monday. The only day that changes there is Friday. Um, I do the beach run. I leave the middle workout in the, um, at lunchtime alone. And then I run, I try to run from 11 o'clock at night on Fridays to about two o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to get either those hours in or I'm trying to get over 20 months. That's a lot of running. It's it's a lot. I can't do that. I can do maybe, I don't know. No, I can't do a lot. That's that's the way. The most I've ever <laughs> ran is ten miles. Hey, I the most I've ever run in my life was ten miles, and I could barely walk the next day. Yeah, yeah. So that maybe eventually. That's man. Kudos to you. That's a lot. So let's talk about the cold plunge, um, and then we'll get into the ultra stuff after that. But okay. So, so when did you acquire a cold plunge? And is this is this a, a farming barrel or is this one of the nice ones? I, I had a farming barrel in the beginning. I had one of the rubber made, not the not the stand up barrel. I had like the tub, the actual yeah, the black tub. Yeah, the black tub from Rubbermaid down here in Florida. Like we talked about in our other thing, you know, that'd be great for you because it would just basically stay cold this time of year. Yeah, me. I added it up and I was spending about fifty five dollars a plunge because I needed about 14 to 16 bags of ice. Yeah. <laughs> So that was each time I wanted for two to go minutes. Ahead. So like $55 for two minutes in there. Yeah. So that that's more than going to the cryo, I think, you yes. know, the, um, so that wasn't working just because of the weather here. So I did get the actual brand called plunge. Um, I did their little financing thing. They covered half for me and I actually just got done paying for it, but I got it last February. So it'll almost be a year and I use it all the time, all the time. Um, I, Where do you, how does it help you besides like shocking you in the morning? Uh, well, I do, uh, what I do is I'm trying to, I'm always trying to build levels on it, everything. Hence the, you know, shooting a bow and then going to elk, uh, you know, starting to run and then doing ultras. So what I'm trying to do in the morning, my actual routine in the cold plunge is I get in, dunk myself right away, pop back up. And then I do the 30 seconds of that Wim Hof breathing. So you're breathing in and you're just letting it out, breathing in and you're just letting it out. And I do that for 30 seconds. Um, I try to keep my hands in. It's brutal. Usually they're on the side of the tub because what I do next is on the last exhale on 30, I go underwater for another 30 seconds. So I'm because at the end of his breathing, he tells you to, you know, hold your breath as long as you can on the exhale on that last breath. So what I'm doing is I'm doing it in the tub. And the only reason it's 30 seconds is 
right now that's what I've gotten up to. Um, mm. I actually did it this morning at 35. So that was better than I've ever done. But you, you get that brain freeze, like you, at least I do. I get that brain freeze, like I've ate ice cream too fast. And it, when it comes, it comes just, it's awful. But when I get out, I feel amazing the rest of the day. Has it helped you with recovery from, cause you're moving your body a ton. Definitely, definitely. That, that run in the morning when I get back and I think I left it out, when I put my feet up for about 45 minutes before I got to go to work, I go back and that's when I actually do this whole Wim Hof cold plunge um, thing. And um, that's for, it ends up being about three minutes and it definitely recovers me. I don't, I don't feel like I did that run in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, 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 I still got the cold tub, but now mine has a layer of ice on top of it just because it's so damn cold here in Pittsburgh in the 20s. Yeah, you might as well right now. Yeah, what did, what did you say? It was 36 this morning or 26? 26, yeah. Yeah, you're fine. You put some ice in there the night before, it's it's going to be there the next day. Exactly. You break yours up a little. I'm, I'm going to have to. I, so basically now until now, I swear to God, in Pittsburgh, it is freezing and miserable until April. It, I remember when I was wow. a kid, March, April, it'd be springtime, it'd be flowers, it'd be sunny. I swear, we don't get any spring anymore. It just goes, it's just winter for like eight months. And then yeah. May happens and then it's 100 degrees. You know but, what? And it's an opposite here. I feel like we don't have, I mean, let's face it, Florida doesn't have much of a winter. But I feel like we don't have that. I remember back in the day fishing in, I mean, maybe I was just a wuss then. I don't know. But I remember having a hoodie on in April, you know, going fishing. Now, it wouldn't matter if I was a wuss or not. In April, if you put a hoodie on, you're sweating. It's miserable. Mm -hmm. You're, you know, you're in one of those SPF t-shirts. Mm -hmm. So, I, I don't know. You're getting colder, and mine's getting warmer. And we had a brutal summer this year. Um, every every day from probably April, Mayish, like maybe later, let's say June, about four o'clock, we get. We get rain coming from the other coast, like clockwork at four o'clock in Florida. This year, I think that happened one week out of the whole summer. So it was an awful summer. And it's still hot when that rain comes through because it goes from the Atlantic right over Florida. Excuse me. And it goes right into the Gulf of Mexico. So it's real fast. But not having that rain, it was a very brutal summer. Brutal. Yeah, and we used to get, when I was a kid, and maybe I just have – grandiose memories but my family says the same thing we used to have a lot of snow we used to build huge snowmans had snow forts and sled all winter long La we i got my kids brand new sleds last year they didn't get to use it one time it wow. snowed it snowed once and it was only like half an inch and we couldn't even do anything it's cold right now so i'm hoping this leads up to a lot of snow this year because i want them to you know they're, they're yeah. kids i want them to be sled riding and ice skating yeah, and all that kind of stuff yeah <laughs> Not just inside the whole. The yeah, whole I guess I don't really understand snow. Like when you tell me it's 26, I think it's four foot stacked up from the night before. No, it's just freezing it's just... and windy. Yeah. And I, I've seen that now. I did go to school in Tennessee. I mean, it would be, you know, in that 20s wind blowing and there's not a snow. You know, I'm waiting for snow. There ain't no snow. It's mud and rain. I'm like, come on. <laughs> Yeah, there's no snow. I wish there there's snow be better because at least it's all quiet. And it looks nice outside, but right. it's it's dry and freezing. And then you you know I wake up in the morning early to go to the gym. It's just dark out, and you step outside and you just get that just man that wakes you up. And yeah, it makes, you don't, you it don't makes need driving to, to the gym a little more painful. Yeah. 
Um, so you mentioned these ultras and I definitely want to get into that. So, okay. cause we talked about, you know, hunting and cold plunges and morning routines, but also you're, you're an ultra marathon runner. So what is the one, let's start from the end. What is the one you're training for right now? I, I am training for the 2024 Bigfoot 200, and that is out of Washington state. And most of it goes around Mount St. Helen. I think it's going to be incredible. I've never done that one. They've, they've had it for a few years now, but uh, that, that looks very interesting. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it already. I'm so signed this is up. An... It was a draw. I was picked. So hmm. it's up to me. I'm going. So this is an ultra marathon that goes around a volcano. It goes around the volcano. I was watching video. It looks just, I mean, I think that's going to pump me up. Just that running around yeah. a volcano. How many days do you have to do that? Um, I believe it's the same as Moab. I think you have four days and I think I got to look back at it. I hadn't looked at the website. I think it's around 110 hours, something like that. 96 hours. It's, now, it's right in there. It might be four and a half days. That's why it's 110. Moab is 110. What's the route like? Is it like, what, what do you do? Cause I it's, know there's some of the ultras are like a hundred laps or what does it look no, like? No, no, it's, um, it's a, uh, it's an end course. So it, it starts on one side and I think it goes, it might go all the way around the volcano. Um, but it goes, it goes up around it and then it ends in another spot. So it's what they call point to point. So there's no lapping happening, happening. There's no lapping. If you so, get, if you get lapping, you're get, you're in trouble. <laughs> so 200 mile end to end course. That's a long, end that's a long route. It is. And um, I did Moab last year. And just for that team to put together those courses, it, it's insane. They're just, they're going, that one's 240 miles. They're ba and that one's around. It almost looks like the continent of Africa, the way they set it up. You start here and you kind of go around and it went to a tip and then it kind of went around. But they're literally taking state and national trails and just connecting them together. It's it's pretty incredible once you run it and look at it, like there'll be a name trail that goes this way and there'll be another one, you know, 30 miles away. And you got to, you got to take a trail to trail to trail. It's insane how they put those routes together because they have to avoid private property. They have to avoid cities. I mean, this is a 240 mile, you know, roundabout trail. It's, it's insane. So I can imagine a point to point, you know, you got to avoid mountains. You have to avoid, you know, certain rivers that, you know, a guy just crossing can't just jump across. You know, there might be a humongous river. I don't know, but it, it's pretty incredible. But this one is point to point. I've watched a lot of video on it, and it looks like it ends like at a high school or something like that. Oh, why doesn't it end at the volcano? That'd be cool. That would be cool. <laughs> it seems like an anticlimactic ending. Yeah. But I guess you get up in there. And then you're coming back down on the other side and you're, uh, um, you're, uh, you're ending down in the next Valley, which is probably a town. So when you're going on this route, yeah. is it all marked, is it marked out well, or do you have to, it, they, they do pretty good. I mean, they have tassels, you get a GPS map, hmm. um, you, you get, you can, you can download this map and take it and you can put it on your watch. So I have my Garmin and I had my phone and, you know, all the GPS uh, tracking devices. Now they can, you can put it on airplane mode and still use that. Mm -hmm. That is a lot. Um, I forgot what I was just going to ask you. 
Well, yeah, I was concerned about getting lost because I could imagine. I would imagine there's a lot of people that do these, but not like a marathon. I mean, are there times whenever you're out there and you're just by yourself? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, when I did Moab last year, I didn't have a pacer. I had I had a crew, you know, that ran the truck around to make sure I had supplies, but I didn't have a pacer. Um, mm -hmm. And there were there were points where. I had forgotten to look like at the GPS and I got lucky because <laughs> I was just on a trail. So yeah. I just stuck to the trail, but there were places where if I wasn't running with other people, cause I don't pay attention, I'm just, I'm trying to get done. Um, I, I would have been, I, I wouldn't have made it. And just because of time, not because of mental, not because of physical strength, I would have just went off and I was one of the last ones to finish. You know, I didn't really have a clue what I was doing. So I would have definitely, with that amount of time trying to find my way to, I, I would have been in trouble. So give me, give me an idea of some of the gear, because most people, 99% of people do not, 99.999% of people don't do ultra marathons. So what is, what's some of the gear you need to do an ultra marathon? Um, well, you, uh, you need a truck or something that you want to at least get in and lay down in. So I notice a lot of people use minivans or, you know, if they have a higher budget, they've got a sprinter. Um, you want a crew, you want, you want people to be, they have multiple rest stops and uh, about half of them in Moab, um, I think, where a crew could be there. Um, they have their own crews at the others, but you want to bring plenty of your own water. You want to have a, a mixture of some sort of electrolyte with it. Um, on you yourself, I carried a uh, two-liter backpack um, with the, you know, with the hose, and yep. then I had two water bottles that sat right here. Um, I used the backpack, and I only used those for emergency only. It was like, didn't matter if I had them or not. If I didn't need them, I didn't use them, kind of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, you just the main thing you want to do, and then and then I carried like I carried a couple gels, I carried gummies, um, I carried a little thing of salt so I could just add it because I thought the salt tablets just had too much of it in there for me. I didn't need that much salt. That's what um, I got right here. I got a little container of salt. There you go. Yep. I just I put a little on my tongue and let it dissolve. A massage therapist told me that trick. Okay. It goes in you a lot faster. Just a little bit of like sea salt on your tongue. And once it dissolves, chase it with water. You're good to go. The, the tablets, she said, they have to go down your system. They have to digest. They have to open up. Then the salt has to get to where it needs to go. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah. So. Um, what socks and shoes? What kind of socks? Any of these high-end socks and shoes? Or yeah, are you like the David Goggins um, first race where he was unprepared? Um, I was right there with Goggins, 100%. Um, I was out in Moab and it has that red clay dust that's super light. I wore ankle socks. So that was, uh, that was brutal. I had blisters on my ankles the size of silver dollars. They were, they were huge. It was awful. Um, I, wore a, I wore a trail running shoe, but I wore a very heavy shoe. Um, I wanted to wear kind of like I was thinking I wasn't going to be that fast. I just wanted to finish um, more stability. Um, I had two pair of them, but what I found out was with all the sweat and all the dirt, those shoes felt like, and let, let's face it, your feet get heavy too, but those shoes felt like I was wearing steel-toed boots by like mm. day two. They were heavy because they were just saturated with that clay and my sweat 
and I only had two pair and I didn't have extra soles. So I couldn't do anything to, I mean, I ended up rinsing them out. So I just ran in wet shoes. That sounds um, horrible. It was, it was brutal. My feet were so beat up. If they were this wide before I ran that race, they were that wide when I ended. My feet were so swollen and beat up. It was insane. And a lot of people wore gaiters. And to me, gaiters down in Florida, they were a huge, nobody really showed me. They just said, oh yeah, you got to get a pair of gaiters. And I was like, whatever. Because gaiters for us down in Florida are a thing that hook onto your shoe and go all the way up to your knee. And they're a lot of times they're snake proof. You know, they're mm -hmm. like a bushwhacking thing. And I'm like, I'm not running 240 miles on those things. You got to be nuts. Well, I get there. Nobody has gaiters. What they said were gaiters was like a neoprene cloth that hooked on your shoe and it like went around your sock and it went about that high up. Mm. So it was like an outer sock that went over your shoe to keep the dust off. Mm -hmm. Jason didn't have that. Mm. <laughs> I was looking around. I was like, oh, gaiters. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now you know. Yeah, because that dust was so light. You could take that dust and blow it, and it yeah. would just blow off into nowhere. It didn't even fall. So when I got into the parts of the trail that had that dust, it, it you might as well take in sandpaper and put it around the inside of my shoe and let my foot just rub in there. My shoe, my foot was just raw, bloody. So after this race was – yeah, I was just going to ask you. After this race was over, what did your feet look like? Um, I, have a, I have a picture. I'll have to tag you in it. I put my uh, – I put my buckle next to the buckle that I want. I put it next to the uh, blister and the buckle's about three inches tall or four. The, the blister's almost that big. I've got it sitting next to my foot, but they were every toe underneath had um, blisters. Both sides of my ankle had blisters and the top of my shoe uh, foot where the tongue was, there was like a perfect red line of just, just it was just mud and blood. My feet Mud were destroyed. And, and then they were so swollen. It, I have very big feet. I wear a size 15 and you couldn't even tell I had toes. It was like, it was like foot and finger uh, toenails. So when this is over, can you do anything? Like how long is the recovery from this? Not, I couldn't do much. Uh, the funny thing is I, um, I double booked my RV park where my RV was. So when I got done with Moab that night, I had to check out at 8 AM the next morning. And sitting there, I have a little RV where it has the hand crank stabilizers. Um, a gentleman saw me from across the way at the RV park. He was a retired um, police force um, somewhere. I forget where, but he was on vacation with his family. He comes over and he like, he basically pushes me out of the way. And he's like, sit down. I got this. <laughs> he basically hooked my truck up and everything. And I sat back just like... Thank I mean, I was, I was toast, but I, he saw me trying to crank and I was just like shaking and I was picking each foot up because it was hurting to sit in the gravel. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I was, I was destroyed. And I think worse than that was I had to turn around and drive back to Florida from Utah right then. You know, I was, I was done. There was, you know, there's no vacation. Oh, let's go find another spot. And I think the worst one was stopping to get gas because it was such a short thing. I would get in the car I would acclimate the sitting, even though sitting was awful because all the blood was going to my feet and I had to use my feet. That was miserable. But getting out, filling up and getting back in to start that process of my feet getting over, it was a miserable five days. It was just, it was awful. <laughs> I stayed at truck stops and that was it. I mean, like I had food on me. I'd stop it up. 
I'd stop somewhere where I had to walk in and get it because I had the RV, so I couldn't get into drive-throughs. And me and the dogs just ripped home. We got home in five days. Slept a little wow. at night, and I was gone. So, I mean, it sounds like it's it's painful. Sounds like there's a lot that goes into it. A lot of planning. Sounds like it's expensive. Why do you do it? <sighs> I I first started doing it. I wanted to get I wanted to get better for me. I wanted to get better for my teams at the at the at the stores. Hopefully they follow. Not necessarily ultra, just bettering yourself. Um, I like sharing it with other people. I think the biggest thing for me is I like to I like to test myself. I've done some hard things, and it's just like, you know, what's not necessarily harder, but what's what's the next thing I can do? I I think. Uh, I think social media has helped me with a ton with that because I see other people older than me doing it. You know, it's kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, there was this thing forever. It's like, once you turn 40, life is over. It's not even close. Life's not over until you're done. Life's not over at 80. If you lived to 85, it's, it's not over, you know? So I just want to do as much as I can. It's kind of like, a, I guess I would call it my race against time. How old are yeah. you right now? I'm 43. I do feel like it used to, even whenever I was younger, because I'm 36, maybe 20 years ago, or maybe 20, 25 years ago, I do feel like the older generation was very much, or just the, the messaging maybe we got on TV or whatever it was, you hit middle age, like you're pretty much done. But yeah. now it's very much there's, because of guys like you and a lot of other, like Jocko and Goggins and all these guys who are in their 40s, 50s are just pushing and Brogan, people like that pushing themselves to the limit and just crushing life right now. Like these guys are in their forties and fifties and just are in their absolute prime in every area of their life. Absolutely. I mean, those ultras, I think, uh, well, I'll have to look it up again, but, but I think the average age in the beginning was like, like a really good ultra marathoner was like 40 to 55, or it might've been like a real stat. I think it said 57. And I'm 43 and I'm like, I, I just started and I, and I love doing them. I don't know. I don't have any plans beyond this one. I want to do really well in it. Like it's like a, you know, it's a tunnel vision with that one, but it's like, and I've only done two and I failed the first one. I failed a 100 that I tried to do, but I, I just got started with that. So it's not like football or basketball. It's like, once you start, start turning 30, you know, it's kind of like, all right, start thinking about coaching and, you know, getting out of it. But I've just begun with it and I definitely, and then hunting, I mean, let's face it, there's, there's old tough men and women out there that are going to hunt till the day they die, you know, out West, the Midwest, you're not going to tell them any difference. So to me, this life's just begun basically. When I asked you, why do you do this? You said you want to be better for your team. What do you mean? Well, you know, you get, you get different aspects in, in businesses. You know, you own, you own a couple of businesses. You could walk in there every day and try to be a hard ass and yell at them and, and completely put them down and have a new team every six months. Um, or you could go in there and just be like, Hey, how's everybody doing? What are we doing today? You know, you could go in that side or you could go in and go, what I, what I'm trying to do now is, you know, what can I do for you? What can we do to get better? What can I do to get you better? How can we get better? And then it, it's kind of like, oh, damn, look what he already did today kind of thing. I'm trying to inspire by doing instead of saying. Beautiful. You know, my, my people have been in the industry a long time in jewelry. The, the women there are definitely way over me when it comes to the fashion side. So I'm always going to them. 
But so I look at it as I'm coming to you for almost all of that. But look what I did for myself to, you know, ask you, you know, he's running, he's keeping in shape. And, you know, if they follow, let's face it, we'll just be a better team. If they better themselves and I better myself when we come together, that's just a better team. You know, mm-hmm. you get a you get a basketball team like back in the day when Jordan came in, you know, they didn't think, you know, working out wasn't cool, you know, but he started working out and he was one of the first that got a personal trainer. And then Scottie Pippen jumped in and then everybody's lifting and, you know, it just, you know, you better yourself. The next guy betters yourself. Now let's better us. It, it, to me, it just, it doesn't matter if I know jewelry or not. If I conspire them to bring their talents out in jewelry, it's a win. Um, you know, and each person, if they try to better themselves, you know, at home and they come in better, whether I know it or not, it, it's just going to be a positive aspect all the way around. And I, I, I think it's, I think it's working and I'm going to try to take that over to Mana's market. I have a manager now it's me and him. Um, uh, he's awesome. He knows his thing. And I noticed the other day, he doesn't look like he works out or anything. He's a little guy, but, uh, he, he, he made the initiative yesterday to tell me he went and ran with his dog. So he wanted you to know. Yeah. And I didn't ask how far I wasn't going to be like, did you do seven miles? Well, did you an ultra like me? Yeah. Yeah. I just said, I was like, sweet, man. I gave him a high five and we went to work. But like right when we walked in, he's like, I ran today, ran with my dog. Yeah. You know, like sweet talk shit. Tell me you ran eight miles when I ran seven, you know, that's great. (laughs) My, my seven's in my routine, but that, that was good. So, and we've only been together a couple of weeks, you know, we just had the grand opening last Saturday and it was, you know, it was chaos and we did well. And he's already telling me, Hey, I ran this morning. What you got, you know? So mm-hmm. maybe it's working. Yeah, man. It's yeah. People want to follow a guy who's leading himself. Like there you go. It's if, great you're not, if you're not even leading yourself, no one wants to follow you. You're not going anywhere. Yeah, and you, for you, I was not take. If you're trying to tell me how to be disciplined or how to live my life, and you were obviously not a disciplined person, had no control over yourself, I would say, why is this hypocrite talking to me? Right, but, I, I probably wouldn't be sitting with you right now. Yeah, we wouldn't. But yeah, if you're, if you're living the life yeah. you are, I mean, not on the side. You wouldn't know what to ask me, and I wouldn't know what to say. Like, what'd you do this morning? Oh, I got up five minutes before work. I took a hot shower, and I went in and checked my email. Yeah. Wow. Not very exciting. <laughs> yeah. I was late to work. I was the last one to show up, you know. Yeah. Whatever. And you're, you're like, and it goes, and like, if you have a family, your, your family wants to follow a guy who's leading himself. Like your employees want to follow a guy who's leading himself. And not just leading yourself, but pushing yourself to the edge. Like running an ultra marathon around a volcano. I mean, that just sounds so badass and epic. It, yeah, it seems awesome. And to that to that topic, it's like, you know, you're a father. I am not. But it's like, you know, I talk about the team. You know, technically, yeah, you're not your wife's boss. You're not, well, you kind of are your kid's boss. But you got to lead by example. You know, the, the fat guy that sits at home throwing chips in his face after working all day and smoking a cigarette out back. Don't get mad if your kids do that later. I'm sorry. You know, yeah. that's what they're that's what they're seeing and they don't know any better. You know, the only reason they would know any better is like if you were like a fitness guru and you were really helping and then you fell off, they'd be like, "What? We want that dad back again." You know, they would see the difference. But if they're born and that's who you are, 
don't don't get mad at them. You got to be a leader. Yeah, that's the that's the hard truth. And but if you're that guy, you have to hear the hard truth. I'm sorry, you do. Like if, you, if you're living sloppily, undisciplined, you're you're very out of shape. You don't need a pat on the back right now. You need you need some hard truth and to understand the consequences of your behavior. Like you yeah. need you need to see the perspective. And I do have some of my content. Like I I try to go at it's, it's and it's going after the guy I used to be because I was I I've lost like 60 70 pounds. Like I'm I'm talking to the to the old the old Chris. Like what does this guy need to hear? He didn't need someone to say you're doing great. He needed someone to say look at the impact, look at your infinite impact that you're going to have on your family and your kids. Look what you could be. Look what you're leaving on the table. Like look at the man you could become but you're not right now. Uh-huh. And look what you're going to leave your family and your children if you continue living the way like you are. So when I yeah. make content like that, I'm speaking to me. I'm speaking to the old me because I know there's guys out there who are here right now living that life who need to hear that. They need 100%. that hard truth. I, I've got buddies like that, and I've tried to, I've tried to take them along, and I'm like, yeah, oh, let's not do that. Let's do this. You know, you need to get in shape. You need to, and I just didn't happen. So, and and we don't talk anymore, and we don't talk anymore because something bad. I just. I don't want to live that lifestyle. I, I, I did it for long enough. I mean, I lived in Central America. I, I partied in college. I partied after I moved home from Central America. I just, I'm, I'm over it. I just don't want to do it. It's not fun. I yeah. could go party right now. I got the energy. I mean, I'm running ultras. You want to go party all night? I could go party all night. I don't want to. It's not that I can't do it. You know, I just don't. Oh, it's I've what brings a, you pleasure. I've got a pack of beer in my fridge for two weeks now. Uh, Whatever. If I feel like one, I will. What brings you that actual happiness and peace and fulfillment? Like it used to be in college, it might have been drinking and food and fun and parties and that kind of stuff. But that's so temporary. I mean, now the things you're doing bring you that long-term identity, confidence, and boost and belief in yourself. Right. The big, the big thing I would say, if I could say it in one word, would be goals. I don't. You don't have a goal by. I mean, you have a goal going out, but. The next day that goal's gone. You know what I mean? There is no, there is no end game. You can just keep partying. Um, there's no end game to fitness, but you have goals that you can get to an end. Like I wanted, I wanted to finish Moab. There's my goal and there's my end. Now find another one. And now it's uh, the Bigfoot 200. Uh, there's more of a, there's more of a real goal. There is a goal. Uh, like I said, partying, there, there's just, there's nothing to it. It's the same thing every time you're just at a new venue. You know, yeah. and you the goal can, the goal there is just to make yourself world. feel good. Yeah, and and you feel awesome. I I like the I get hyped up just kind of like when I signed up for uh, Bigfoot two hundred. I got fired up right then. I'm like, what's going to be my first routine? How are we going to do this? I got a hold of a personal trainer buddy of mine that helped me out with Moab, and I was like, the first thing I text him, I go, we're doing it again. And he just gave me the uh, eyes up in the air emojis, like mm-hmm. what? <laughs> and I just wrote hashtag 200. <laughs> He's like, oh boy. And then we talked about it. And now we're doing four week things where uh, the beginning of the four weeks we we set up, I'm going to do this kind of training for four weeks as long as it works. And then we're going to flip flop it because let's face it, there's no real way to train for an ultra. You just, to me, you just got to endure pain, time on the feet and pain. So those are those goals that I'm absolutely loving to get through. Even those four week goals, get to that four week, get to that four week, get to that one. And then bam, it'll be August and it'll be go time. 
then after that, I'm going to have something else. I mean, I'm, I already won a elk hunt and that's September. So it's right behind it and I'll be mm-hmm. in shape for it for sure. Um, so when did you start getting into running and ultras and give me, give me that story. Um, I got into, I got into running, um, probably it wasn't really because of COVID. It was right around that time of that, um, 2019 COVID really hadn't happened yet. Uh, my best friend passed away in 2018 and he was a diehard. He was from Philly, uh, diehard Phillies fan of everything, you know, like those guys are, I, I love that. Um, but, uh, I wanted to run the Philadelphia marathon in his name. So I trained for it. It was a brutal training. I didn't run. Um, I had a buddy kind of put together a regiment for me where I ran four miles every day and I just tried to increase the speed every time. And then I ran, I doubled that every weekend. So I did eight. Um, and then I did 12 or 14 and he won, he wanted me to get to a half marathon and kind of just uh, see how fast I could run a half marathon. It was such a last minute thing. Mm. Um, I got in right at the sign up. I wasn't a runner. Uh, ended up finishing the marathon, went out too fast, ran a 454, but I did finish. So I got it done. Um, after that, that was in November of 2019. After that, I kind of fell off. It was like, great, I did the marathon, did it in his name. Um, kept in shape, did more weightlifting after that because I was in great shape because of the running. But then naturally, you see yourself at 190 at my size at 6'3". I'm like, all right, now I want to put some, you know, I want to change it up. So I got into weightlifting again, um, did that. And then COVID hit and I bought some dumbbells from a plate against sports, got back into the running, got into the bow stuff like we were talking about, did the road trips, got in the mountains. And it was like, um, I really got into the ultras because of uh, Cameron Haynes, uh, the gentleman that lives out there in, in Springfield, Oregon, that does all his promo with the bow rack. And he's an ultra runner and it, mainly he's a bow hunter. Uh, I put those two and two together and I wound up up myself. So I'm like, oh, and I didn't know what other races he ran, but he did run the Moab 240. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have ever known what that is but that gave me the goal to do that. So I picked the longest one in the beginning, like an idiot, but I did it. <laughs> yeah. But I love that because you know, it could have taken a longer time to get where you are right now, but you did the hardest thing first. Yeah. I well, I take that back. I ran, I ran a, um, the year before that in February, I ran a hundred mile called the forgotten Florida right here in Florida, up in the Ocala national forest. Mm-hmm. And I failed at mile 75. I walked off. Still yeah, so that was, far. I'm one of those that, that, that stabbed me. So it wasn't going to end. So instead of doing that one again, I was like, all right, I'm going to do Moab. Yeah. yeah. But before the 75 miler, what did you do? Um, I tried to do that July before that February, I tried to run 50 miles by myself at a park in the middle of the night. And I got to 45 and I ended up passing out. And when I woke up, I found myself on a fence post almost laying like Jesus on the cross with my arms up on the fence. And I woke up and I was just scared shitless. I was like, Whoa, where am I? What am I doing? And I literally crawled in my car and drove home. So before the 45 miler, what did you do? That marathon. 
Okay. In so 2019. <laughs> so you went from 26 to 45 to 75 to 100. To 240. To 240. Yeah. Yeah. So every one of these bench uh, mileposts, every, every one of these new races you did was just a massive level up for you. It was like 20 more miles. Pre pretty much. And what I did before I ran that attempted 50 that I got 45, before I ran that was only another marathon and I jogged that. And it was probably a week before. I, I, I trained up to get to that 26 mile night, but it was like, I did that then tapered off the next week and went for the 50. Yeah. That's amazing. When did you, so you're 43 now, at what age did you first start running a, a long distance? Um, I would say it was after that. So I was, um, three years ago. So I was 40 years old. All right. So at 40 years old, you started this and now you're 70. So I was 40. Correct. Ultra marathon around a volcano. So that should be inspiring to people because I talk to you know <clears throat> guys who need help with getting their fire back and getting in shape, all that kind of stuff. And there's guys in their late twenties who are scared of diabetes because of how out of shape and heavy they're getting. They're scared of not having energy to play with their kids. They're scared that they're already heading down the wrong path. Right. And it's too late for them. But I just want, I like that people can see that, no, you were 40 years old, decided to get into ultra marathon running. And now you're just, just three years later, you're running around a volcano, like 200 some miles. Yeah. And get this, I ran, um, I ran Moab with a separated rib. How'd that so happen? Throw that factor in there. I, um, I was screwing around on the Red Rocks, uh, literally seven days right before Moab and with my dogs, I was out every day. So there, what was, I, I was being an idiot. I shouldn't have been out there. I should have been tapering, but I went on a trail run every day before the race and I slipped and fell off one of those giant red rocks. Didn't really think about it that day. That was day eight. That was eight days away, seven days away. I woke up the next morning. And so picture me laying down with my arm perfectly like this. So I opened my eyes in the RV and I looked down and my arms kind of sitting like this. So then I sit up in the RV bed and I literally had my oxygen taken away from me. It was almost like, I was like, I was like, am I having a heart attack? You know? And it was all over my body and I laid back down and I'm like, ah. so what happened was subconsciously my, my body put my arm in that place to relieve the pain supposedly, because that's what wouldn't hurt laying down flat with my arm like that. So I got up again and I was about to call 911. I laid down on the floor. I went over the front of the bed or the back of the bed, laid down on the floor. Dogs are licking me and I'm still trying to catch my breath. And I was like, first of all, I was thinking, you know, what happened? Um, I was all bruised up from the fall, but those were just bruises. You know, you could have got those from a football game and I'm sitting there. And then finally I catch my breath and I just kind of calm down. I'm like, all right, it's been 10, 20 minutes now. It's not a heart attack. And I never had one, but I got that realization that I have an injury, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm sitting there. I got my arm here because that's what feels good. I try to stick it out and grab something. And it was like, oh, no, put it back. <laughs> I couldn't do anything. This arm was fine. So I get on Google and I'm like, you know, maybe it's something muscle now because I can move it. I did reach out. You know, I didn't break anything. I was doing that. I was sitting there doing that. So I reached out to massage therapists right there in Moab and, you know, there's 
all kinds of outdoor activities there. So there was massage therapists for people that get injuries everywhere. Nice. So I'm calling him up and finally I get this guy and he goes, I got 35 minutes for you in between two sessions. Get over here. Uh, he doesn't lay me down. He has me sit up on the side of the bed, just like I am. And he slowly just has me. He's like, I'm going to try to relieve your pain as fast as possible. So he has me like, take a breath in. And as I let it out, I bring my arm up, take a breath in. So we're, we're doing that. And then finally he, uh, he, this little system he has, and I literally come out and I drop it down. Like I'm doing circles, you know, like almost like a rotator cuff check. Mm. Um, he gets the pain relieved. I still don't have much mobility. He's like, I'm, I'm fully booked all day. So I went back on the horn and I, and he said, that's when he said, you might have a separated rib. And I'm like, really seven days before Moab, this idiot, you know, not the, not the gentleman, me, you know, doing all that. Um, so I find another lady that works for one of the high end hotels, but she happens to have her own practice. So she literally, I call her up, tell her the story. She gets me appointments with a chiropractor as well. And she's like, all right, every day, every day I have a break. Cause I'm just sitting in an RV. She's like, every day I have a break at the hotel. I'm going to meet you at my office and we're going to, we're going to work on you. Thank God. She was awesome. Every day in there, you know, grinding my shoulders out, trying to move my ribs around, having me lay on her bed, like spread out, just like falling over the sides to stretch. And then she would send me when she's done with me, she would send me over to a chiropractor. And I did that every day for seven days. And the last day she was on a second story thing. I sprinted up the stairs to do my, massage therapy. So I was, I was, I was ready. And then it still hurt. The first day of Moab was miserable because I had stopped all that rehab and I'd slept all that day. And the next morning was it. So I stiffened back up, but, um, I got through it. Persevered. By day four was my best day. Those were my best times. So literally that movement of Moab healed me. Yeah, that's some added inconvenience, huh? Having to separate yeah. a rib during a, during oh, a race. Oh, the first day I was just kind of like, I was in last place. I was just kind of hobbling. And I, I I don't remember what place I was in. I was not last. I think there was 20 people behind me. But I got into Moab. My fastest time was literally the last mile of Moab. I think I ran around an 8.30. And then I did five clapping push-ups at the, at the finish line. Just as a, as a last hurrah? Yeah. Just this, let's beat up the, let's beat up the chest and shoulders a little bit, you know, after 240. While you're doing that, you're probably all amped up and you're just, 100%. You know, look, look what I just did. This is amazing. Like your very first Yeah. Well, you probably feel just great. Yeah. I did. Even on that drive home, miserable with the feet that we were talking about earlier. It still was like, it's kind of laughing, you know, kind of like, <laughs> yeah, the feet hurt, but guess what they just did, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Because once you do it, you can't. No one can take that away from you. Like it doesn't matter how injured or how long the recovery process is after the race, forever you get to say, "I did an ultra marathon." That's it. And it took me about seven days before I was in the gym. Yeah, that's not that's not that long. No, I'm sure you burned a few calories on that ultra. A little bit. I started it at around 208. I was, I believe, I weighed myself when I first got back, and I didn't eat that much in the car. Mm -hmm. I think I was 187. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. So I lost some weight. Did you have any type of tracker on you during the time that 
monitor. Yeah, they, uh, the race organization um, gives you a little tracker. They stuck theirs. I was saying earlier what I wore, a little vest. Uh, they had their own trackers that they uh, they put on you and they collect at the end of the race. Yeah. Okay. You know, do you know how many calories you burned? Oh, not that kind of tracker, just GPS. I have no clue. Okay. Um, I screwed up my watch. Um, I really wanted to see how much I did actually run because, you know, yeah. you walk around a camp area and stuff like that. But I ended up bumping it with my wrist a couple of times and I had stopped it. And then I was like, you yeah. know what, as long as it's tracking me, you know, where I'm at, I'm, I'm good. But I do not know. I wish I would have known. Cause yeah, I would just want to know what the like the calorie count was. Something absurd. I would have loved that. See it say like fifteen thousand or something. Probably, <laughs> I'm sure way way more than that. I, I have to be, have to be, because I when I run this, uh, like we were talking about my four week course right now. When I run a minimum of twenty on Fridays, I'm already in the thirty five. I think one night was even forty eight when it was hotter, forty eight hundred, yeah. and that's mm -hmm. that's twenty miles. So, mm -hmm. all right, so. You're an interesting man with an interesting life. You were not always a jewelry store owner and canine um, store owner. You used to be a boat captain. Yeah, I was. How long ago were you a captain of boats? I was a captain in Central America. And, I mean, name a place in the world. I'd probably been there uh, for about 11 years. It started in 2005 and it ended at about middle of 2017. So not that long ago. 12 years. So yeah. six years ago. Uh-huh. And what took you from, first off, what, how did that end up happening? How did you get down there doing that? Um, like we talked about with the bow stuff earlier, uh, my dad had me in the outdoors my whole life. I absolutely love fishing. That was my love because I didn't get to hunt a lot, so I didn't get the experience. But fishing, I had a pond down one street. I had the ocean down the other. Um, and it's the same thing at the ultras. Uh, do you want to? go catch little bluegill your whole life, or do you want to go for the marlin? You know, so I, uh, I fixed up an old boat after a nasty car wreck that I was in. Um, I fixed up an old boat with some insurance money, and um, I knew some people down in Costa Rica, and they owned a restaurant. So it was like kind of bring your idea down and hook up with the restaurant, and I became a fishing boat captain and taking charters and we ended up getting an unofficial inshore world record and we got a official offshore uh, world record down there. And I met some incredible people and it took me all over the world. Did it you love awesome. that job? What's that? Did you love doing that? I love doing that. That was a passion job. I finally just got so tired of coming up short, coming up broke mm. uh, that it just finally, it, it, it just ended. Yeah. It ended on a good note. It'd be like a baseball player, or, you know, a, a slugger or a catcher that just can't get down on his knees anymore. You know, you still love it, but it's, it's time. It, it, it's time. You know, I, I wasn't making money. I was paying for the boat. Um, I had gotten another boat by then. I had moved to Panama by then and I wasn't getting the business. I was before my time, which means where I moved, the next 10, 20 years, it was going to be a tourist destination. Mm. It just, it just ended. Mm. Still love it now. Don't hate it. So you came back to your current location by necessity or would someone, what happened there? Definitely, uh, definitely necessity and a kind of a wanting a new chapter. I, I yeah. wasn't going to go after running my own boat and doing about everything you could do in the fishing industry from commercial to booking tours for hotels by training other people. I was an electrician. I was a woodworker. I was a mechanic. Excuse me. Um, 
I had done it all. It was over. Yeah. So family business, like we talked about earlier, um, the fashion side wasn't really me, but I really wanted to be a part of the business side. And what better being, you know, having your name on the building, I have an opportunity to be on the business side. I get to pick and choose. I was a jeweler for a little bit. So I learned that side, um, you know, actually repairing jewelry. I don't have a artistic bone in my body, so I was never going to be a designer, but I got to do what I wanted to do. I got to do the mechanic side and the repair, and now I get to be a business owner. So I, I really enjoy it. How do you look at the rest of your life? Like, what do you, what is the story that you have for yourself? What's the vision you have for yourself? Um, I want to, I want to win an ultra. Um, I want to do more of them just for the, just for being out there in the goal. I want to see how far I can push myself. Um, I definitely want to see how far I can grow Mana's Market and Coffin Jewelers. I really mm -hmm. want to see, I want to be innovative. Um, I'd rather fail trying something new than succeed in what everybody else is doing. Like already at Marta's Market, we have a cafe in there. Uh, we, we have uh, sandwiches and um, we're going to have drinks later uh, for people that are hanging out for the grooming. And that's something nobody else has done that I, I know of now. Uh, Coffin Jeweler, we're, we're going to be uh, bringing them. I just started a, a men's room and I don't call it the men's room because that sounds like a bathroom. It's called the man's cave. We have a spot where gentlemen can come by, um, pick out a cigar and sit on the porch and smoke. They can try whiskey and um, try on men's jewelry and different watches. You know, that's something not that that is in the industry, but it was something I always wanted to do. And I didn't do it because somebody else has already done it. I just did it because I wanted to bring another flavor to the shop. So mm -hmm. I, I just want to be innovative all the way through. I don't want to be tunnel vision, go, oh, we have a jewelry store. We sell fashion and bridal. That's it. So, and I'm going to be trying some new things in the future. I don't even know what they are yet, but there's going to be some new things. So the world is open to you. Correct. Correct. And it's open to anybody. There's an opportunity somewhere. Um, if you're a guy who's, if you were talking to a guy, like a friend of yours who was in their twenties, who is maybe overweight, maybe at a job they don't want to be at and just kind of miserable and they, they feel stuck. When I see a guy like you and like, man, I, I want some of that fire in my life. What would you tell them? What do you, what do you love? They could say, let's use the example. Oh, I love dogs. Okay. Is your dog trained? Oh no, he runs all over the house. Okay. Why don't you try to train your dog? And then why don't you try to train your neighbor's dog? And then why don't you try to train your friend's dog? You know, why don't you, well, how's your dog look? Oh, he's overweight. Okay, you're overweight. Why don't you try running around the block with that trained dog? So um, what do you think about that? Oh, yeah, I like that. Okay, we'll start with the block and start with sit. You know, what I'm getting at is I would tell that person to find something they like and, and bite off a little corner of it. You know, don't, don't go open up a retail store and, and sign yourself into the next 20 years and on a lease. You know, I had that opportunity, but I've been around dogs my whole life. But find something you like and, and find a pie, find a pie and bite off, bite off a piece. You like that piece? Cut a piece out and let's eat that. You know, oh, you want to get into it now. Uh, are you, you know, sit down with your wife, sit down with your kids. Is this uh, me and you had that conversation. Stay at that dead end job for the paycheck and then it, wake up a little earlier, you know, work on your thing. 
before and after. There's 24 hours in a day. I sleep six of them. I got a lot of time. Even if you sleep eight, there's a lot of time there. There's, there's times that you can, I guess, pick your battle and just keep adding on to that piece of what you love and see if you can make a pie out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. But, but pick something you love. And some, everybody, even that deadbeat person, they, they love something. They, they, they love sports, you know, get into sports somehow. You might not be an athlete, but when the football team walks out on the field, look how many people are with them. Those are jobs. Those aren't people going rah, rah, rah. Those, you know, the, they all have headphones on, you know, look, look into it, find your passion and, and, and dig into it a little bit and see if you find something. If you don't find something, that's not your passion. It's just not, maybe there's something else, you know? So I love it, man. You're going after life and you're pushing yourself to the limit in, in every area. Love it. Trying to, trying to, and we'll keep trying. That's the great part of it is the trying. Yeah, it's, in, it got, it's got to be inspiring for guys to listen to. And just to say, I hey, so. I can get out there and try something. Like, you don't have to succeed at it. You don't, have to, you don't have to master it, perfect it. Just get out there and try something. I haven't shot anything with my bow yet, and I'm on year three. This will be there year four. <laughs> I'm still going. I just yeah. went. You know, I, I was unsuccessful in this last deer hunt. The last two years, I was unsuccessful in the woods. And I was just telling you how I want to tr- train to track my dog to be out in the woods. Not to not be out in the woods. I'm going again. Well, man, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Glad we glad this one's going to turn out. And this <laughs> is just really fun to talk to you. Where do you want people to go to, or what do you want to show them you're doing? Talk to me. Um, I've got my personal Instagram. It's Jason L. Coffrin. If you want to see basically a variety of things, um, I've got Coffrin Diamond Jewelers. If you're into that side and just want to see what we're about on Instagram. Um, we've got coffrinjewelers.com and then I've got Mana's Canine Nutrition Market. If you want to look up to see what we've got in foods and everything, uh, we're just building a website right now, but uh, Instagram's definitely the instant place you can see what's going on with that. We just had our grand opening. But yeah, Jason L. Coffrin, Coffrin Jewelers, or Mana's Canine Nutrition Market is where you can reach me and um, if you DM any one of those, you're going to get me and I'd, I'd love to answer questions. If you got them, I think it'd be cool to get questions off a, off a podcast. That'd be awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. This is great. I really appreciate you having, thanks for having me.